Hey, welcome to the Revo Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us today, wherever you are. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's message. Uh, today's message is going to be a little bit, um, probably a little bit more, less leadership, which is what I spent a lot of my time on. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, moments where this can apply to leadership, but uh, this is more of a, a message out of conviction, a place that um, I feel like when, when you deliver God's word or you spend time in it and it does something in your life, it's a good spot to share where that happens in our, in our space. And so I'm going to talk a little bit today about being the opposite of the opposite and how our lives quite often are that. And that sounds really weird. And so stay with me for a second. But um, I want to tell you a quick story. I um, and my freshman year in high school, I was 5'4 and 92 pounds. So I was crushing life. Um, and most of my buddies were 16. They were hairy and driving. And I was 14, just turned 14. And none of those things. All right. So uh, I played soccer my whole life. And so it was pretty much a clear picture of like, this is what I'm going to do when I get to high school. All my buddies played with me. And my freshman year, they all made the team and I did not. So it was, it was quite a moment. We can do counseling on that another time. But my PE teacher was also the wrestling coach. And so he said, Tyler, you know what you should do? You should come out for wrestling. And the season had already started. And I thought, there's never even crossed my mind that that would be something that I would participate in. There was too much about it that I just really couldn't get behind. But I was, you know, in need of something to do. So I was like, sure. So he said, actually, I really need a, a JV 103 pounder, which if you don't know, it's you've done a weight classes. And 103, for the record, is the lowest weight class. Remind you, I'm 11 pounds under the lowest weight class, okay? So uh, I go and I get, I practice for two whole weeks, which obviously gave me all I needed to know about how to wrestle. But one thing I needed to know is I had a really good looking new shoes. I mean, I looked the part. And here's the funny thing about wrestling. When you're warming up, and you, obviously when you're 103, you're the first match, so you kind of figure it out. But you're always over there like warming up, listening to your warm-up music, whatever. I, I didn't warm up like this, but if I did, then I would have lost immediately. But you're always kind of scanning the other team going, now which of those yahoos is going to face this, this machine right here? And so I kind of figured it out. And, and the funny little side note, the dude that I ended up wrestling my very first match after two weeks of wrestling uh, ends up being a state champion like a year later. That's cool. No big deal. So if you ever watch wrestling, you put your foot on. One guy's wearing a red, uh, red band and one's wearing a green. We shake hands. Here's all I know about that day is that we shook hands really fast twice, which means we shook hands, he pinned me, and we shook hands again. 16 seconds. It might be a state record for the fastest pinning in the history of wrestling. Here's what's crazy about it. I honestly thought I was gonna do okay because I was looking the part. I, had, I might be the only human in history, the spandex didn't fit tight, but it's okay, I was in, I was fully committed. My shoes didn't even get dirty. And by the time uh, all this knowledge that I'd gained in two weeks, all the look and feel, the way I look like a wrestler, I didn't know what I was doing and the dude worked me. I mean, worked me. And yet we live our lives sometimes a little bit like that, don't we? We've got this thing we put on, this facade we put in front, these masks we wear so that we look a certain part and we act a certain part. There are people I know that are my age that wear clothes they shouldn't wear because they want to be 22. My life rule is dress trendy for your age, okay? That's not really a life rule. That's just the principle. Let's go with that. If that's a life rule, we all need a longer conversation. But you understand what I'm saying? Like there are, there are ways in which we put ourselves in position to look a certain way 
to come across a certain way. And yet, there's something going on inside that's not matching. And uh, for those of you that have, been, have met me before, you know that I love leadership. I love the local church. I believe that how we lead affects people's faith. And one of my main things about leadership is that who we, what we say is who we are. And so the passage I want to share with you today is a passage that convicted me a few years ago and continues to convict me day in and day out because what, uh, what Jesus tells in this parable is an example of why it matters that what happens in here matches what happens out here, okay? You guys good? We can go there a little bit? All right, so I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna just say a couple things and then we're gonna dive into this passage. Looking the part will not cut it in the kingdom. It just won't. God's gonna give you things. Andrew and I were talking a few minutes ago. God's given him things to, to manage. He'd never managed before, but until you carry them and steward them in a way that honors God, you don't get strong. Like you get stronger by carrying things that you've never carried before, right? I mean, that's, that's a part of the process. If we don't walk our faith out with integrity, if we don't try to match the insides with the outsides, I know guys and girls that can stand on stages like this and preach the paint off the wall, but don't know how to lead their staff on Monday. That's a disconnect, isn't it? Have you ever met somebody where you're like, I, and honestly, again, I think some of y'all know this, but I used to lead this national Christian movement of leadership stuff. We had everybody from Malcolm Gladwell to Seth Godin to Brene Brown, all these names you've heard of. And there were a couple of times a New York Times bestseller would come through and I would have read their book and we were super excited to be there. And all of a sudden I meet them. And my first thought is, who wrote the book for you? Because what I read is not who you are. That disconnect doesn't work in the kingdom for me. To me, what happens in a church like this that can reach a community is it has to start in here first. It has to start in there first. If we want revival, spiritual awakening, a church growth movement in the city, in this area, in this community, it has to start in here. We cannot just fake it until we make it. It is a critical part of our journey with Jesus. Our true self is what the Father in heaven is looking for. So we're called to be set apart a little bit. There are times we have to be opposite. But what I, when I read this passage we're gonna read, it just kind of made me think of this phrase, which is, uh, you know, English professors, if you're here, forgive me. I made a 420 on the SAT in English, so we'll roll with that. It's a double negative. We are called to be sometimes, excuse me, not called, we're quite often times opposite of opposite. We're called to be opposite, but yet what's happening inside is almost like reverting us back to what isn't opposite. Does that make sense? It doesn't. That's why it's a double negative. It's weird. We're living like that sometimes. So here, we're going to do a little exercise. I'm going to give you a couple examples, and let's just see if there's moments in the kingdom, if we're followers of Jesus, that this is maybe the opposite of how we're supposed to do it, or how opposite kind of plays out. So an example is, what does it look like to have faith and hope when all the things around you are devoid of that? That feels kingdomish, doesn't it? It feels like kind of the way we play our lives out a little bit if we're followers of Jesus. Sometimes enjoying life without satisfying all the temptations and desires of the flesh, that's hard to do. But there's a reason being set apart and following Jesus is, is, is opposite sometimes because the world does not believe that. You know that, right? The world says, do what you want, when you want, whenever you feel it. And the kingdom says, hey, what if self-control, what if doing something for somebody else actually matters than satisfying your own flesh. What about, what if we had organizations, think about this in your workplace, where people choose to forgive others 
who haven't actually earned forgiveness. Now that's big. That's a big deal. What if we're willing to forgive somebody before they ever come and apologize? That's hard, isn't it? That's opposite. What if leading others with their best interests in mind, not yours? That is a very kingdom upside down, backwards principle. Can you imagine having a CEO of a company? What was that? Oh, that's the haze. I was like, what's happening? <laughs> Who's coming after me? I thought it was Charles smoking in the back. It's okay. <laughs> what if we had leaders that actually led in a way, no matter what seat you sit in the organization that said, you know, I actually believe in these Jesus principles. I know it might not be for all of you, but the Jesus principle and the kingdom stuff I believe is that your growth, your opportunity, you becoming a better person is more important to me than my growth and my opportunity. Because here's what I believe, that actually is the most spiritual thing you could do and it actually forwards your growth and your maturity and your opportunity. What is staying up all night with a friend who's struggling big time when there's a million other things you'd rather do that are more fun? And lastly, not because I'm getting old, but what if honoring, respecting those who've gone before you, that's actually a pretty kingdom principle, even if it's your parents. That's kind of opposite of what our world says. And yet, sometimes we'll do those things, but we're doing it not out of the right heart. And what God wants to say to us this morning is, what does the right heart look like? I know we know these things, and as believers, we know how to act the part. You've been taught these things, some of you, your whole life. We know, I mean, most of us know this. What is God calling me to? How do I act in certain ways? And yet, we have to remember that we are set apart for something different because some days we don't feel that. Uh, my, I have a 16-year-old son and a 13-year-old son. My 16-year-old is uh, playing safety for our, our varsity football team, which is crazy. And uh, we have a new coach that came in this year. And one of the things that um, has been really powerful to me is for years, and I feel bad for my kids, trust me, because the amount of times I make examples for leadership at moments, it's like, hey boys, did you see the way they stood up at the, th and they're like, dad, we get it. I'm like, okay, cool. But I don't know a lot of 16-year-olds that when they, Somebody new they haven't met comes into a room or in a space, stand up and shake their hand instantly and introduce themselves. There's something that's going on because of the, the reminders of what it looks like to be a little bit opposite sometimes, to be set apart. And so uh, we have this new coach and this new coach, I mean, my son Nate has just done an unbelievable job of leaning in and leading on this team where he's a, one of the youngest guys and yet he's a captain, right? And there was a day he came home and he's like, dad, I, I'm embarrassed. I was like, what, what are you embarrassed about? He said. Coach made an example of me today. I was like, a good example or a bad example? He was like, a really good example. He just called me out and said, you know, there's one leader on this whole team. And we got seniors, juniors, all that. He goes, well, we got one leader on this team, and that's Nate. And I was like, well, bud, that's a pretty awesome compliment. But what was happening is he was embarrassed because all these other kids were looking at him like, he's a kiss up. He's doing it different. What's that all about? And I said, let me say two things to you, bud. Number one. Every single player on that team has the same exact opportunity that you have right now. And you're taking advantage of it. And number two, don't you dare lower your standard because nobody else is coming up to the set apartness that you feel. Leaders, would you listen to me for a second? God calls us to a different kingdom lifestyle. And I promise you that if you're just playing the part, it will fall. But if this thing matches these outward things, God can do something amazing in your life and in this church. I, I want to be honest for a second. I know some of you are going, yeah, but if I really do those things and I really change that stuff on the in inside, won't I give up some stuff? Yeah, you will. 
There's going to be some things that you want to do next week that God's got maybe something else. And listen, I didn't become a believer for this very reason for a long time. I grew up around the church. I didn't know very many fun believers. I know that sounds shallow, but that's welcome to my life, right? That's all I need. Somebody that's fun. Show me somebody that's fun and follows Jesus. I'm in. And it was in high school. I got a part, became part of a student ministry and I started going, this is different. There's something when the fun was happening and it was life-giving, I was like, huh, I could get behind that. I could be around that because my biggest fear was what if I don't go do all the fun things that actually might not down the road be fun, but felt like fun in high school or felt like fun in college. If I don't go do those things, does that, am I eliminating the, the excitement in my life? And God's going, no, I have something better for you. I have something set apart for you. And I know I'm not the only one who's asked that question. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 23. If you don't, we'll have it up on the screens for you. Uh, this is in the English Standard Version. I'm going to read this to you, and um, this is a passage that comes right out of, uh, uh, this is chapter 23, so guess what came right before it? That's right, chapter 22. And in chapter 22, this is where Jesus gives the greatest commandment. Do you remember that at all, where he said, love, your other, uh, love God and love your neighbor? That's the greatest commandment. So it's no surprise that this, this passage of warnings comes right on the heels of the greatest commandment, okay? Uh, so I'm going to read this to you, uh, and I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to picture this for a second before we read it. Uh, we, we, live, we moved to Orlando about a year and a half ago from Atlanta. Uh, we are Georgia alumni, so it's a good season to be a Bulldog, but we also are really proud of you for beating Tennessee if you're a Florida Gator fan. Way to go. Yes. That was a big win. Big win, and everybody likes for Alabama and Tennessee to lose. We're all in this together. But I had this tree in our house in Atlanta. It was beautiful. It was in the back of our yard. It was this massive oak tree. And I love one of the things I love about Florida is all these Spanish oaks. And I mean, it's just, I love these big trees. And they provide all the shade and incredible tree limbs to climb on. And this tree, when we bought the house, it looked incredible. The leaves were full. The, the bark was great. It was just beautiful. The limbs were all strong. And it honestly looked perfect, but what I didn't realize was it was rotted on the inside until started, the leaves started changing in, different, in a different way at the wrong season, and, and a limb fell off. And it was when that limb fell off we realized there's something bigger at play. And as we had, to have, uh, as we had it taken down, we realized as soon as they cut it, you could see it had been diseased on the inside. It was rotted completely through the middle. And that thing could have fallen on our house, could have fallen on anybody else, but I want you to picture a beautiful tree that's rotted on the inside as we read this passage real quick. We're just going to read uh, verses 1 through 11 and then, and then skip to uh, one more. So he says, and then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, he's talking specifically to the religious leaders at this time, which is even more empower, uh, impactful. The scribes and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat and so do and observe whatever they tell you, but, do not, uh, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all the deeds to be seen by others. In other words, just, I'm, I want you to see my good works, whether it's real or not. For they make the, uh, uh, this is another term for um, like robes and, and ropes that they wear, broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, 
earth, for, uh, for you have one Father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. This is a reference to two chapters ago. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And I want to skip down to uh, verse 27 and 28. So he then goes on to give these seven woes, okay? So like, hey, woe to you if you act this way. Woe to you if you do this thing. It's a warning. Listen to this one. This one really stings. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's a little painful, isn't it? That's a pretty deep word. Basically, hey, you're cleaning up something that's dead. We're going to dive into that in just a second. But I want to, I want to talk about this first passage here, the, the 11, uh, 1 through 11. It's a really interesting uh, breakdown. The whole first half is, this is a pretty negative version of it. And the second half, he gives us a few keys on how to do this on an upside down opposite kingdom. He talks originally about, and I love this because it's to the, the people that stand on these stages. He says, that, hey, those of you that stand on these stages, the, those of you that stand in front and, and you know, I do, I don't. Some of you grew up in the church and you missed the chairs that were on the stage. You might miss those. Hey, we used to call them thrones, right? Like you, the pastor and the worship leader would sit in a throne. Anybody grow up in a church like that? Okay, some of us. So, you know, I'm just trying to recall that for you so you remember that. But there used to be a day where people would literally, like, what I want you to see is me being good. What I want you to see is all these words matter to me. But how many of you have known someone in the faith that you're like, and honestly, if you're new to church, you might be, this might be the reason that you don't go to church anywhere because you're going, that church is filled with the term hypocrite here. They're, they say one thing, but they do something else. Some of you haven't been in a building like this in a long time because of people like that. There's a reason that Jesus gives that warning to all of us because everything matters for the kingdom. Everything matters for people to come into Jesus's presence. And if we are a church filled with people who are whitewashed tombs, who can say it on the outside, but not live it on the inside. We have lost the power of the gospel in our lives. I remember, I want my kids to want, there's one, one thing that the New Testament talks about that a church we were going to, just, it just wasn't a part of our language, but it was the reality. We sang about it earlier. Literally, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within us when we invite Jesus into our lives. You realize that's pretty good power, right? How many of you have been resurrected from the dead? My old boss, Andy Stanley, used to say, whoever can uh, die and be raised from the dead, just listen to them. Jesus is the only one we know that has done that. And so it seems like it's worth listening to him when he looks at us and goes, hey, church, hey, people, quit doing it just for praise. Do it because it's in here. Do it for the right reasons. What I love about this passage is it starts with the negative, but then it moves to the positive. Uh, there's a passage in Matthew 20 that he's referring to here, and it's one of the only times in Scripture, I think we talked about this the last time I was here, where he says, uh, this is what the world is going to do. But if you follow me, not so with you. In other words, this is what you do as a follower of mine. Verse 11, the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself must be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's pretty powerful stuff. Um, how many of us are willing to practice even if we don't have to preach? There's an old saying, right? Preach the gospel and sometimes use words. 
how we live should be an overflow of what's going on in the insides of our lives. I want to uh, move us down here to chapter, uh, to the second part I read in this chapter. And this is the part I want you to just, uh, honestly, I just want you to pray that God would uh, start enlightening things in your life that feel like this metaphor. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs who outwardly appear beautiful, but within are just full of dead people's bones. You, I just, I kind of picture going to a grave site, and some of you, this is hard to picture, but like the tomb and just cleaning it, which we want, we want it to look nice. But when you recognize that your life is potentially a really clean stone with a bunch of dead underneath, that's a pretty intense picture, isn't it? But you guys, there's no way I'm the only one that feels sometimes like that. I would bet everybody in this room feels that way sometimes, where it's like, I know I should, but I, whatever. I know I shouldn't drink Coke, guys, or sweet tea. I get it. But I do love it, right? I know I shouldn't look at that thing, but it made me feel good for like two minutes. You guys, we live in a day and age where our culture is built on dopamine hits of likes and what does it feel good? What makes me feel good? That's what I'm gonna do. And what God is saying is, hey, there's a longer play here. You can be the most beautiful tree, but if you're rotten to the core, you're gonna, it's not gonna work. It's gonna fall and falter at some point. You remember, uh, there's a movie back in the 80s called Weekend at Bernie's. Anybody ever see that movie? Yeah, there we go. I'm just trying to date myself. The rest of you are like, yeah, that guy is old as Christmas. Weekend at Bernie's was a funny story. These two like teenage kids that got invited to this millionaire's like retreat, island, house. And you remember what happens? He died. Like Bernie died at the beginning of the whole movie. And the rest of the movie is these two dudes trying to pretend like he's alive. So they put a hat on him, sunglasses, and they're like carrying him around all these different places. It's a really funny movie, but it's just an example of what this feels like. Sometimes we're walking around as dead as Bernie is, and yet we're trying to pretend like we're full of life. Guys, I promise you, pretending doesn't get you very far. When it is an outflow of your actual life, when it is an outflow of what you actually believe, it can change everything. And, the, and honestly, I think part of the challenge is, do you actually believe that God says, if you do these things, you will flourish more? If you do these things, you will have life and have it to the fullest. That's the test. God, am I willing to sacrifice what I think you're making me sacrifice? Is it worth it? And do I believe what you say I should believe? Now, here's one of my favorite things about this. If you go back just to the chapter before, when he gives the great commandment, just prior to that, Jesus said this because some of the religious uh, leaders were kind of questioning him. And this is what he said. And you guys, if I could just give you this verse and you could anchor it so deep in your spirit, I would love for it to be there. It's verse 32. He just simply says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When we act like whitewashed tombs, the power of Jesus gets lost. When we actually don't put our faith and our trust in the, the words of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the belief that he could still speak to us today, we are literally walking around like dead bones that are being washed over and over and over again. But he is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Some of you are in this room because you have a relationship with somebody who believes this. You have a relationship with somebody who actually says, no, I, even though I lost this, even though this job didn't go out, even though 
I still believe. Even though this is brutal, even though the money's not there, even though my life is like this, even though my parents didn't give me this thing, I still believe in life and life abundantly. And I'm going to give everything I have so that what happens internally is matching what happens externally. I can promise you, even in the last few days of preparing this and thinking about this again, there were two things that came into my mind that I thought that's not an that, that is inappropriate for what I need to be thinking about. And I took it captive and I moved it out of my life. Because when we believe these things and we believe that God wants the best for us, how many of you want to work for a leader that wants the best for you? Anybody? I do. What if God actually wants the best for you? Even though he's saying, don't go to that thing, don't be friends with that person, don't do these things. Does that make sense? If he actually believed that he wants the best for us, you might be in a relationship that your friends are going, don't do that anymore. And you're going, yeah, but it's nice and he's nice. Yeah, but he treats you like crap. Okay, yeah, but he's nice. No, what? I literally was talking to this guy one time. He was a worship leader. This is not that long ago. And he was like telling me, I said, tell me your story. Tell me a little bit. what." And he starts going, and guys, we do this in the church all the time. We just, we whitewash over junk. And he tells me about this horrible experience with his leader, lead pastor. I mean, when I say I'm embarrassed to even, he tells me this whole story. And this is what he says. But it was a cool season. What? What? Did you hear what you just said? They were rude to you. They were mean to you. It was ridiculous. That was not a good season. But the church, we do this all the time. Uh, I think Charles talked about this last time. I do a ministry for pastors where we take them on a year process and take them through counseling. We take them on the fun of trips like this and uh, like what Charles is on right now. But one of the things that happens in counseling is, is our, ther our group therapists, they don't put the church language on it. So I'll never forget one of our guys goes, yeah, I'm just in a slump right now. And she goes, you're depressed. And he was like, I like slump better. <laughs> and then one other guy goes, yeah, I just like to fix people. She goes, no, you're codependent on fixing people. He's like, oh. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Guys, we can cover it up with vernacular and words. Let's be real about the fact that we believe God is who he says he is. And there are days that is not going to feel true. My friend Lisa Turker says, feelings are indicators, not, uh, not dictators. But we live in a day and age we let our feelings dictate. What if in these seasons where you're not having a hard time, you put truth and anchor truth so deep in your spirit that the days that you're not feeling what's true, you actually are able to recall what's true because it's deep in here. It's a part of who we are. We're no longer whitewashed tombs. So how do we know we're actually being the opposite that God calls us to be? Look at Matthew 12. Let me go back there real quick. Matthew 12, 33 says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. Uh, in Galatians, he talks about the fruit of the spirit. You guys have heard that passage before, right? There's a reason the fruit of the spirit are not natural. How many of you are really, you just love self-control. Anybody in the room just love it? How many of you just love the fact that you need to be joyous when there's nothing to be joyous about? There's a reason they're called fruit of the Spirit, because God's uniquely called us to, to be a little different sometimes. I love the simplicity of this passage. If you want good fruit, what do you do? You make the tree good. So leaders, I want to encourage you this morning. We're going to talk about just like two other things, but please, please, please hear I believe that God wants to speak something specific. I don't want it to be this big picture of, okay, I need to be a good tree. 
what's wrong with the tree right now? What is the specific thing? I actually believe God will tell you if you give him space to do that. So here's a question or an idea. What if we quit worrying about our Insta story and start worrying about God's eternal story? What if we stop leaning on how we feel and start leaning on God's truth about you? What if we quit, and this is just a, probably a funny thing that drives me crazy, but what if we quit praying about safe travel and start pursuing God where praying about safe travel is the least of your concern? What if we quit wondering what it's like to worship God with all your life and just do it? Are there leaders here in this room who are willing to not just preach or share a message, but practice it? Are there leaders here in this room who believe, actually believe that the power of the resurrection lives within you? Are there leaders here who believe if, uh, if you are obedient to God's calling in your life, he will explode it with flourishing and understanding of the kingdom? Some of you here this morning have come in and now you realize you're tired of cleaning dead bones. You want God to restore those bones to newness and freshness. Are there leaders in this room today who are willing to stop your own pity party and get going with flourishing because you're willing to walk in the spirit new and fresh? And this is a, this is a I, th- I believe this is timely for this season of this church. Are there leaders here willing not to just talk about revival at Revo, but pray it through? Willing to sacrifice your prayers, your money, your time, and your focus, even if you don't see it in your time. I want to tell you a quick story and we're going to wrap up. I recently, uh, well, excuse me, not recently, good grief. Uh, this was when I was in college. <laughs> Listen, it wasn't that far ago. You laughed too hard on that one. <laughs> but we were part of a campus ministry, and there was a group of students that were willing to believe this stuff, this thing. Some of you are still like, I don't even know if I believe the thing. That's okay. But we were willing to believe that God might actually do what he says he's going to do. And we started praying for spiritual awakening on a massive secular university. It went from about 75 students down to about 40 students. But that 40 was willing to pray even if they didn't see the fruit. Matter of fact, there's one guy, Andy, who I could think of, used to climb up. We had a way to get up on our roof. Our room was kind of like this. And he would lay on the roof of our auditorium all night. This is a 20-year-old. And he would bang his knee on the floor to wake himself up so that he would pray diligently all night that God would do something in the lives of this place and these students that nobody had seen before. And by the time I got there, there were about a hundred of us. This little group that believed this stuff. And when I graduated, we were having 1,500 every Wednesday night. And it's not the numbers that I want you to hear. It's that God moved in the lives of these students. God sent out leaders across the nation because we were impacted by a small group of people some of which graduated 12 months ago after that and and saw the fruit of 75, but never saw the fruit of 1,500 every Wednesday night. So much so that for the 25 years-ish, I'm just letting you guess, since then, there's still that many students every week gathering and praying for revival. And what I want to say is, it's here because we were willing to believe it. We weren't just going to wash the tombs anymore. We were actually going to believe for resurrection in our lives. We were going to believe for new hope in our lives. Some of you have a relationship right now that you've prayed for for so long that you don't even believe that God can do it anymore. Yes, he can. Are you willing to pray that through? I really believe at this time in this church, there's a 
group of people that are, if you're willing to believe the stuff that Jesus says, and not just clean the dirty stuff, but do the work to make sure the inside is not rotted. God could do something miraculous in this place and reach a city in Ocala and the space around. So a few years ago, I started remembering that, I mean, started thinking about processing that season of my life. And I felt like God said something to me as clear as day. He just simply said, Tyler, how long are you going to live off of that faith? I was like, oh, that stings a little. How long are you going to live off of what I did then? What about your new faith? What's new in you? What are the things you need done? What are the things you need to come to me for? What's the work you need to do internally? So my prayers for you this morning is pretty simple. I'm going to ask you the same questions. How long are you going to live off your faith, your, uh, the faith of your parents? How long are you going to live off the faith of your coworker who's kind of got you interested in listening to some of this stuff? How long or will you be afraid of what people think instead of what God wants for you? How many of you have such a desperation for God that you'd say you're not going to leave a room until you meet with him? until you touch his garment, until the Holy Spirit stirs you like never before. And I, I do hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you read Isaiah 6, you cannot come into the king's presence without changing. Isaiah 6 said this, when he came into God's presence, you remember this? He just literally said, first thing out of his mouth, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, when you come into the presence of the king, all gets illuminated. And you have to change because you're going, I don't want to be in the presence of a holy God looking like this. But what if we could come to God and he fill us with grace? I'm going to read you. I'm not going to text. I'm just going to read you this, this, uh, this lyric from a song. This is a song called On Repeat. This is another sign of my age. It's by Hillsong. So I'm actually just going to have you close your eyes for a second. And if any of these little things have stirred your heart where you're going, I know exactly the space that I need God to come and invade. But some of you are literally so embarrassed by the things that you're afraid to come to God's presence. You're almost afraid to go, God, yeah, I do want that, but I don't know that I want you to see all this. I hate to break it to you, he's seen it. Listen to what this passage says, or excuse me, this, this song says. And this is for some of you right now. You need to hear this in God's presence as you're praying. Every time I come running, I find grace on repeat. You welcome me with open arms no matter where I've been. And every time I surrender and every time I fall, this is so beautiful, I find grace more precious than I did before. So I'm going to lay my world down here at your feet. I'm going to look to the heavens for all I need. I'm going to sing my heart out, praise on repeat, to the God who's never given up on me. So with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if there's anybody in here that goes, I've actually never even put Never even had a first time on that. Never even knew that this Jesus thing, I've heard about it, but I never actually believed it to be real. And today we wanna to give you a chance to step into the realness of that. 2,000 years ago, this, this man, Jesus, died on a cross and three days later he rose again. That is historical. That is not metaphor. That is an experience that's happened in life and some of you need to believe that for the first time and put your faith and trust in this. And I, I, my encouragement to you is there are things, you've tried every other version of, of trusting something. I just want to encourage you. What if you tried trusting him today? 
And if you're willing to do that and pray a prayer with me, uh, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you specifically? You just sit in God's presence and just go, God, I'm tired of trying it myself. So would you just pray this prayer with me? Father, I just want to give you all of me. I'm literally going to lay myself down here at your feet. And God, I believe what your scripture says is true and what that song reminded us of. Because you've never given up on me, I can come to you and grace is on repeat. I commit and, and, and say publicly that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to trust you, God, by leaning into your word and the community around me so that I can grow closer to you and my insides can match my outsides. And now for the rest of us uh, in the room, would you, would you just um, take a second? You know, sometimes God can't speak if you don't give him time. So I want to give him just a second in your own life. I want you to just ask him. Remember what he said in verse or chapter 22. He's the God of the living, not the dead. So he's moving and living and, and working in our lives right now. Ask him, God, what's the area of my life that is, is, is lacking integrity from my walk with you? What's that area of my life, God, that I keep tripping on? That I need grace on repeat in right now. And whatever it is that he says, would you just write it down, tell someone, put it in your phone, and just commit to over the next few days trying to move it forward a little bit, try to get a little bit ahead of it. And Father, as we wrestle with whatever that thing is in our own lives, would you give us each the ability to let that be uh, almost so forefront of our minds that we can't forget it? And God, none of us come into this room going, you got to completely change it all. But instead, what if we just got 1% closer to you today, God? What if we took one step that might just be the step we need to change the tra trajectory of our lives and our walk with you, God? And I just pray, God, I know Charles isn't here and um, I pray for his time away, but I pray specifically over this church that you would raise up an army a core team, a group of people like you've already done who are willing to do the hard prayers, who are willing to lay all night in honor of those who come later, in honor of the work that does, uh, might happen in five years and 10 years, but they're willing to do the prayers and the work now because what's happening inside is so much bigger than what's happening um, outside, that it matches, God, that they grow in their faith and their, uh, their belief in you. And God, what if this church was filled with men and women who actually believed that the power of the resurrection lives within them. That would be unbelievable. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this message. If you've made a decision today to follow Jesus for either the first time or the hundredth time, shoot us an email at info at RevoChurchFL with the subject line, I've decided. And let us know where you're listening from because we wanna celebrate with you. Check us out on our socials at Revo Church FL to stay plugged in with what's happening within our community. And we believe it's going to be your best day ever if it's your best day spiritually.